Okay, let's let's uh, let's start here. Yeah. So I'll go ahead and uh, ask okay. you the first question. Um, by the way, these are questions that you guys submitted, um, yeah. and so we're going to go through all of those as much as we can today, and then, like uh, Ron said, we'll answer the rest that you'll hear it online. So the first question is: Does God love everyone? Ron. Good, good question. Um, I would answer that yes and no. Um, and I think the reason that I'm answering it that way is I, I think that's how the Bible answers it. Um, by the way, you have those note sheets. We're going to be throwing out a lot of different scripture to you, so feel free to jot that down. You may want to go back and look it up um, you know, afterwards, or if you don't want to take any notes, that's fine. You don't have to take notes either. But yeah, I, I would answer that yes and no. And I would categorize that as I see it in the scripture as yes in the sense that God has a general beneficent love for his creation, for humanity, for the image bearers of God. Um, The no would come in in the sense that there is a distinction between God's general beneficent love and his special electing love that he has he has for his people. So I want to I want to reference a couple passages that I think speak to that end. The first one is in Matthew five. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there, or you can just listen, whatever you would like to do. But in Matthew five verses forty three through forty five, Jesus says, "You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy." But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. And then watch how he qualifies this. So that, okay, so you're to love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. Hmm. So there's, there's a reflection of the way the children of God behave that's in accordance with the reflection of the Father. We're showing ourselves as the true children of God because this is how how God acts. And then notice how he qualifies that in the next verse or or at the continuation of verse 45. For, so here's the ground clause here that he gives. For he makes his son rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. So, you know, think about maybe your neighborhood and you're like, Okay, that guy over there, I've had talks with him. I know he's a believer. This guy over here is. These three neighbors aren't. When the rain comes down, it's not just falling on the house of the just, right? right? When the sun shines, it's not just to those, to those people. There, there's a general beneficent kindness, and I, I describe it as love because I think that's what it's, it's getting at here, um, that God has for, for humanity. And we see in Acts uh, chapter uh, 14... When Paul and Barnabas are in Lystra, you may remember that account. They go in there and they start preaching the gospel. And while they're there, the, the people are like, "These are the gods have come down to us." You know, yeah. they, they have the words, and Paul and Barnabas are like, "No, it's not us. You know, we're men just like you." And notice what he says here in talking to these to these Gentiles in verse sixteen in Acts fourteen. He says, "In past generations, he allowed all the nations to walk in their own ways." Mm-hmm. And then notice verse 17, yet 
he did not leave himself without witness, for he did good by giving you, now listen to the same terminology that we hear in Matthew 5, by giving you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. Um, so Paul's testimony to these Gentiles was, you didn't have the special revelation of God in the gospel, but you had this general revelation of God's kindness and goodness. And, and Paul says here, he did good to you by sending you rain. So I think that's how the scripture paints that picture, is there's this general beneficent love that God has for humanity. Um, but that's distinguishable from Ephesians chapter 1, for example, since we've been working through Ephesians. Ephesians 1 verses 3 through 5. Uh, says this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Verse 4, Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him, in love mm -hmm. he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. So here you have the love of God being displayed particularly to his elect, to those who he has chosen before the foundation of the world. So we know that he hasn't predestined all for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ. So there's a distinction that we see in the love of God. Romans 9 is another good uh, passage that speaks to God's electing love uh, for a people. In fact, in verse 13, he says, Jacob have I loved, but Esau I hated. Um, so there's this distinguishing. So we want to make sure that we, we understand that in our minds. Now, how does that flesh itself out in evangelism? Because that's what we're discussing. Right. So I want to think through, what, does that affect us as we go out and we bring the gospel to people? And I would say that it doesn't affect us in the sense that we understand how we're, what, what is our disposition to be towards those who were to evangelize. We're to be loving to every person that we come across. Right. And we preach the gospel freely to all men. And we allow God to call whomever he will. Um, so that being said, I refrain in speaking with people and saying things like, God loves you. Right and things like that, I'll say, look at how God demonstrated his love towards sinners. And if you repent and believe the gospel, you'll be found as one of the, one of the people of God. So I, I want to distinguish that, and I, I think especially in our, our day and age, because there's a lot of misunderstanding that God just, it doesn't matter what I do, God loves me. Um, so I, I think you have to help people to understand that. So I, I try to guard my language and not say things that I don't see the scripture necessarily saying, yeah. um, because I'm not God and I don't know his disposition you know, towards this person, but I do try to help that person to see, think of the kindness of God bringing you this good news right now, right. that you can repent and believe the gospel right now and be made right with God today and know the love of God yeah. uh, in that way. So I, I, I think that's how the scriptures answer it. But. Yeah, that's very helpful, because I think uh, when we evangelize, or it's very popular to say to someone, you know, Jesus loves you, um, overlooking the possibility that, uh, I mean, the obvious thing that the person may not be in a right standing with God. So just to yeah. say that uh, that special love that is only reserved for the people of God, yeah. you know, uh, is it applies to them, I think, is misleading. Yeah. Um, we tell them the truth of the gospel yeah. in hopes that they would enter into the yeah. covenant people. That's right. So, 
having yeah, those categories are helpful. Exactly, and I, I think you, you do want to distinguish that. I wouldn't have any problem saying, think about the kindness and the love of God in a general way toward right. you. You know, he's giving you food, he's giving you, you know, you know, so on and so forth, and the things like that. Um, but think of this aspect, too, and I think this is where you have to go into the bad news of the gospel and, and share with them. Here's where you stand with God this, this very moment. You're at enmity with him. You're at war with him. Right. Um, but you can be made right with yeah. him, and that's the good news that we're bringing to you today. Yeah. So I don't, I don't want people to walk away confused right. thinking that God loves me even if I don't do anything, okay. you know, if, if I don't repent and believe the, believe the gospel. Especially the, the definitions today, they have, to, they have to be clear. Because so many people are talking about the, the sentiment, you know, yeah. sentimental love, or you know, like the, their definition of love, which doesn't isn't broad enough to go cover the way God loves. Right? Yeah, that He's angry with the sinner every day. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I want to clarify. Yeah. That's. I wanted to interject something because this troubles me all the time. Is like people say, God loves the sinner, but hates the sin. Mm -hmm. But he actually says he he's angry with them, mm -hmm. and, he, and he hates the sinner. Right. Yeah. But, like, other people in other, like, vents mm -hmm. do not believe that at all. Right. I heard Arshie's, yeah. I'm sorry, I heard Arshie's uh, 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 explanation of that. He's not going to throw the sin in the hell. He's throwing the sinner in the hell. Right, yeah. Sin has no, sin is not defined apart from the sinner. Sin is transgression of the law. So sin is not something, it's not its own entity. It's not just out here by itself. It's birthed out of the heart of one who rebels against God, and it's categorized as, as rebellion against God. Um, so yeah, I want, I want somebody to understand that as they stand in this moment, God is... Uh, his wrath is upon them, as John 3.36 says. The wrath of God remains upon the person who does not believe in the Son. Um, but I want to follow that up with the good news, that, that you can be found a friend of God, reconciled to God this day, found in the love of God with that. So I think we, we just have to labor to make that as clear as we can from the Scriptures uh, with a person, because um, that's that's really helpful. Will, I saw your hand go up. This seems to be like one of the biggest things that people, like other Christians, find important about Reformed theology. Yeah. And so just how do we talk about this with them? How do we defend God's goodness and the like that we just like, love everyone fully and equally? Yeah. I think you have to start off. Well, you, did, were you going to answer no, that? No, I was just going to say that, uh, you know, regardless of God uh, in Scripture saying that he's angry with them, um, the, the, the person, I, often that turns off, you know, the person that you're evangelizing. You're telling them, hey, God is angry at you. You know, there's verses that talk about his hatred uh, towards sinners. But um, apart from that, and I know that's a turnoff often, um, apart from that, the person is still benefiting from God's love in so many ways. And so if you see, and this is, this is uh, sort of a, practical thing that I try to keep in mind when I'm speaking about love and hatred um, when it comes to God is that regardless of God's disposition, God is still choosing to bless this person in, in, in so many ways. I always say, for, for me, you know, those nights when you're sleeping and it's hot in your in your room and you're, you're sleeping and you turn that pillow to the cold side and it feels so good, that's an act of grace. Like, 
God doesn't owe you a cold, nice, comfortable pillow. And um, God, is, God is allowing all these wonderful blessings uh, to be experienced by this sinner who is um, deeply rebelling against God in, in so many levels. Um, you know, so I, I, what I would do is to try to emphasize uh, or, or take them off of the focus that, you know, oh, God hates me, then why should I even join this religion? Um, but remind them that even if they reject the Christian faith, uh, they're still walking and borrowing from God's capital. Everything that they use, everything that they do belongs to God, and God is freely giving it to them. Um, what, we're, what we're trying to avoid is that in the end of the day, like when you're, uh, when you're eating at a restaurant, that the waiter comes in and drops the bill on your table. And what we're trying to avoid for them is that uh, in the end of the day, God is going to drop that check and they're going to pay for everything that they've uh, uh, used as, uh, and, and abused, technically, because uh, they're receiving all this free grace that was accomplished on the cross for them and uh, they, uh, they're not turning to the God who provides all these wonderful things for them. So they're going to pay in the end and, and what we want to do is, uh, you know, be consistent with God's disposition for them. We don't want to just say that God loves them and blah, blah, blah. We want to be consistent with the character of God, but also, uh, you know, just help them to see the, the, the grace and the love that God is, is, is giving them in every day. So. And I think, Will, to kind of pick up on, on, on that point is how we help. You were talking about professing Christians having, having that mindset. Mm -hmm understanding the character of God. I think when we go back to Genesis and we look at just the creation of man and God's purpose in creating man and man's rebellion against God, what does God owe man at that point? Justice, right? So I think helping a person see the holiness of God and the justice of God is what magnifies the love of God and the grace of God. Um, and so... For me, it's better to go back and let's learn more about the character of God and learn about his holiness and his justice and his righteous wrath against uh, sinners and where men stand. And I think you can just layer that. I mean, there's just scripture upon scripture that you can help people to see. John 3, as I mentioned, is a good one. John 3, 36. Uh, he, does, he who does not believe the Son does not have life and the wrath of God remains on him. So that presupposes the wrath was already there. So John's just saying it remains. It's, it's already there and it's, it's staying there for the person who doesn't, who doesn't believe. Um, so the character of God, if, uh, for me, that's what just awakened me to the reality of who God truly is and, and helped me help my mind to be renewed from this idea that I had of God coming into the faith. Um, and that, that happens for every one of us. Our minds are constantly being renewed and we're seeing more of God as we study his word. Um, but a good study in the character of God regarding his holiness and his justice and his righteous wrath will magnify that grace and that mercy and love and be seen as God intends it to truly, truly be seen. Yeah, Diana Lynn. Yeah, I was just thinking uh, on, on a take of what you said it's God's character because... For all of us, it says, herein is the love of God manifested. And while we were yet sinners, yeah. we were the unbelievers. Right. We were the enemies of God. Yeah. Christ died for us. Yes. So I like to tell him that this is what God did for you. Mm -hmm. You know, his love did for you. Right. You know, if you believe the gospel. <laughs> yes. Yeah. You know, but I'm saying, I think that 
you know, I think like you, well, I think we need to be careful of staying away from that God hates them or God, you know, God is their enemy or they're the enemy of God because I, I think it says in Romans that repentance comes because of the love of God. Yeah. What yes. causes you to repent is the love of God. Yeah. You know, so again, there I think it's the character, like you're saying, of and, and, and it's individual. It depends on who you're talking to, mm -hmm. and and being sensitive to the Holy Spirit, because some people might need a little bit more of the justice of God and the fear of God, and some people have had that all their life, and they need more of the understanding of what God's benevolence, like you were saying. Right. And things, so. yeah. Amen. Amen. All right, so we'll probably get through two questions. <laughs> no, that's good. This is that, that's really, really, really helpful. Um, so we'll, we'll probably have to have a few sessions for our, yeah. our our overflow, which is great. I mean, this is this is what it's all about. Um, so the next question, um, I, I kind of wrote these down as they came in as I was working through them. Um, Question two and question six, I, I think it'd be helpful to kind of bring those together because they're essentially asking the same thing. Question two says, when do we stop bringing up the gospel? And question six says, when a person asks you to stop talking about the Lord and his ways, do you stop? So essentially, I think they're, they're asking the same thing. One may be more direct, one more indirect, but how do we, how do we deal with that? Yeah. Uh, so again... Uh, when do we stop bringing up the gospel? Uh, I think it's important first, uh, before we start thinking about when, when, when am I going to stop this conversation, uh, to, to always, when we're evangelizing, always be motivated by love. Um, so uh, we ought to be persistent, right? Uh, never be too quick to give up in our evangelism, especially with friends and family. Um, Romans 9, 3, uh, we see Paul going as far as saying, I wish that I myself were caught, cut off for the sake of my brothers in the flesh. In other words, he had strong affections for um, the lost. However, there are passages in Scripture that permit us to move on if we see that the person whom we are evangelizing hardens their heart from the gospel. So some examples of this is Matthew 10, 14, which says, uh, And if anyone will not receive you or listen to your words... Shake off the dust from your feet when you leave that house or town. Uh, there's another verse that says the same thing, Luke 9, 5, where it says, And whenever they do not receive you, when you leave that town, shake off the dust from your feet as a testimony against them. Now, that testimony against them is not saying, Oh, you know what? You know, here you go. And you dust your feet off. It's not with that kind of attitude. But what it's saying is, you know, you, you harden your heart against the, the, the good news that is going to save you if only you believe, and you're pushing that opportunity away. You're closing your heart and, and rejecting the work of the Holy Spirit. Um, then that dusting off your feet as a testimony is basically saying, you know, all we can do at this point is, you know, leave you to your ways. And that's what God does when the sinner just constantly rejects um, the gospel. And so, again, I say that to say... Uh, you know, there is that time where if the person is, is persistent in rejecting you and doesn't want to hear it, then, you know, the scripture allows us to move on and, and move forward. Um, I was going to say something else uh, in, in connection to question six. Yeah. 
Uh, question six says, when a person asks you to stop talking about the Lord and his ways, do you stop? Um, I, want, I, I want to consider, or I think we should consider, all the different spheres um, that we as people are, you know, connected to in this world, uh, in, in public life, right? So, for example, uh, consider the sphere of our society, right? All of us are members of a society. Uh, this is a sphere where we interact with people, you know, outside the bounds of immediate authority, right? So this is like the public square, right? All of us are members of society. Um, this, is the, this, is the, this is the place where we all share ideas. There are, there are people in this, in this square of different religions and faiths. Um, and in this sphere, we're free to go door to door, speak to people, and this is a sphere where when a person tells us, uh, you know, I'm done, I don't want to hear this anymore, you know, you, you can put to practice what it says in Mark uh, 6.11. Again, if any place will not receive you, then you can leave, you dust off your feet and move on. But here's where, where it gets interesting. There are other spheres where we by no means stop preaching the gospel. Um, when you move from the public square sphere to the state, right, all of a sudden, things change. Um, first of all, what I mean by the state is the governing authorities, right? The civil magistrate. Uh, Romans 13, we know that um, a Christian is to obey the civil authorities, right? So we should be good citizens, uh, being that God himself has placed uh, our government in this society for our good. However, if the state, for whatever reason, forbids us to stop preaching the gospel... Well, this is where the church is required to move in the, in the direction of civil disobedience, right? We, at that point, we don't dust our feet off, right? When the government tells the church to stop preaching the gospel. Um, and an example of this is Acts 4, 17 through 20. Actually, can someone read that? Acts, 4. Acts, Acts chapter 4, verses 17 through 20. Right, so uh, it, it's, it's an authority thing, knowing that um, a person, every individual is free to worship, uh, free on an earthly sense to, to, to do whatever they want, and they're going to pay account, they're going to be held accountable to God. But when it comes to the authorities of the earth, there's a greater authority, which is God, and, and in that sense, we, we don't stop preaching the gospel. We, we move in the direction of civil disobedience. Hopefully that would... That, that is, that's not in the near future, but if that is, then and we stand with God and, and preaching the gospel and, and being faithful in that. So Amen. Yeah, Amen. I hope that that's, answers. That's really good. Good, good spheres. Uh, yeah, any comments or questions on that? Question. Sure. Um, on the shaking the dust from your feet, mm -hmm. I assume like that's not a physical thing like today right. that we would do, but yeah. as they say, like a testimony against them, yeah. is there something that as you're closing the conversation, you're wrapping that up? <coughs> You know, is it something of a strong condemnation? Is like, well, you rejected this, so now dot, dot, dot? Or how do you then tie that conversation? Yeah. Um, I, I don't think it's necessary to, uh, you know, 
declare a condemnation to the person or close off that situation by saying, you know, by, by telling them, hey, you know, the Lord will give you over to your ways, so to speak, um, or, or, you know, speaking a curse upon them. Um, but I think symbolically what it represents, uh, in a sense, is, is just that. You know, the person is rejecting um, an opportunity, a, a grace opportunity that God is granting to this person. This is uh, something that God does not owe to this person. God does not owe anyone one sermon. Um, and so when we think about uh, even, even in foreign countries where you know, there's no sign of Christendom existing in that, in that land, of course, we, we desire to go out to these places to, to give them the grace that we too have received. Um, but, but God does not owe that place or us one sermon or, or one evangelistic opportunity. These are, these are graces that God is giving these people um, just as he gave us that opportunity. So I think that dusting off is symbolic. I mean, I don't know. I, I would imagine it had more uh, significance mm -hmm. within that context. Mm -hmm. uh, it probably meant something more. Uh, Actually, we were just listening to a sermon on that, and it was a Jewish custom. Yeah. Mm -hmm. The Jews would go outside of Israel, or they would go into a Samaritan area, which was considered to be very unclean. They would shake the feet and their clothing. In other words, we want nothing to do with these mm -hmm. people, because it's like what Jesus said, it's come out from them and be separate. Right. Mm -hmm. In other words, we have certain, certain boundaries. Right. and certain limitations. So I think if we understand it from a historical point and from the scripture, it makes it a little bit clearer. Yeah, that's helpful. Very helpful. So is it something like kind of saying, you know, thank you for your time, and um, if you have any questions, you know, like leave them information? Yeah, I would always, uh, always, like, leave them with either uh, the website of our church, uh, my phone number, a YouTube link where they can they can see a video or a website where they can look further into into what we're preaching to them the gospel. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I would I would definitely stress that we not you know, um, you know, but always showing love. Yeah, yeah always I, showing love. Yeah, yeah. And I, I think in the context too, like if you're dealing with let's say somebody you know, a family member or something like that, because we we can probably relate to that on some level where you've had family members just kind of shut you down. I would want to leave that door open as well yeah. to say, you know, I've just, you know, I love you and I care for you. That's why I've been sharing these things with you. There's nothing more important than this. I just want you to know that if you ever do desire to talk about this, I stand at the ready uh, to discuss it. So I want to leave that door open Absolutely. as well, um, but also respect the scriptures and not continue to cast pearls before swine, so to speak. Um, I have two thoughts about, like, when Jesus spoke to the young rich ruler, he never gave him the gospel. Mm -hmm. I believe in the law to the proud, grace to the humble, mm -hmm. that the proud might, when the proud come to humility and acknowledge that they are a sinner, then you apply grace. So there's a fine line between being grace, gracious and loving and generally showing them their condition before God, yeah. that they might see the need for a Savior, you know. Um, so he never gave him the God. He never said, come here, I'm going to soften it up for you. you right. know? No, wait a minute, let me change it and, and make it easier for you. So, and, he, and, he, and I'm sure he did it gently. You know? but, and the other, my other thought was this, that um, as far as kicking it off the dust off your feet, that our heart always, always be in check with, like when Jesus 
left over Jerusalem. It's Jerusalem, Jerusalem. Yeah. You, yeah. you know, how many times have I sent the prophets to you? You know, right. that, that we still have a, a tender, broken heart yes. about the fact that they don't believe. You know, that we might still be praying for them. Right. You know, you do come. You know, it's true. You walk away and say, "I'm not going to force it on you." you right. Know? Exactly. But I always have that that, that yeah. the heart for. Yeah. The brokenness about it. You know, you see an example of this actually in Acts 17 when Paul's preaching at Areopagus and he preaches, and the conclusion of that is some believed, uh, some mocked, and others said, We want to hear you more on this matter. Right, right. Um, and so you kind of get an example of those who are just, That's it, we're done, we're not hearing that anymore. Right. And then you had that. So um, undoubtedly, Paul told them more, even though the scriptures don't tell us more. I can't mm -hmm. see Paul walking away. You want to learn more? Well, not right. today. Yeah, we're going to walk away. Um, so I, I think that's a good point. Our hearts are always at the ready to bring the gospel to them whenever that opportunity arises. And our hearts always remain prayerful because we recognize, but for the grace of God, there go I. There's, no, there's nothing special about me that I received the gospel. The only reason I did is because God gave me the grace to receive it and open, open my eyes. So. These questions just bring more questions. <laughs> we'll never do through this. That's all right. When someone's rejected the gospel after they've, already, they've sat under the ministry for years and years and years, is their judgment worse? I, I think so. I mean, I think Jesus lays out in Matthew 11, I think it is, where he's talking to the different cities and saying, if what had been done in you were done in Sodom, for example, they would have repented long ago, it will be more tolerable for that city than for you on the day of judgment. So I do think their accountability rises as they hear the Word of God. Um, so there's a great blessing in hearing the Word of God, but there's also a great danger in it. Um, because if you reject it, I think the accountability or, or your, your punishment will be worse for your rejection, your rejection of that. And then, that, then the next question is, can, do you believe a person who dies you know, rejecting the Lord. Mm -hmm. Could they have been saved and just fall, fallen away, or were they never saved? And would we ever know that? Well, that's a difficult question to answer specifically because there are so many different variables that can that can take place in that. I think we're often far too passive and warning people that have made a profession of faith and just thinking, well, they made a profession at one point. Mm -hmm. Let's just assume that they're saved, mm -hmm. even though their life is totally counter to that profession. Mm -hmm. um, no matter how much they walked in it, because we do see, for example, in 1 John 2.19, they went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they were of us, they would have remained with us. Um, so there's no doubt that somebody can fight and wrestle against sin like we all will until the grave and that may look greater in some people's lives than others but if somebody just outright walks away from the faith abandons the faith has no qualms of conscience with sin no inklings for the Lord I don't think there's any reason that we should give that person an ounce of assurance that they're right with God I think we should bring clearly the warnings of Scripture to say Listen, the scripture says that your fruit is looking like this, and I'm very concerned for you. Um, so I don't want to play God and say I know where that person stood exactly on the day of judgment, but I think we um, 
do people an injustice if we allow them to continue mm -hmm. in a lifestyle like that and not warn them of what the scriptures teach, that, that people do walk away from the Lord and prove that they were never genuinely, genuinely His. All right, two down. All right, let's look at number three. Uh, so what is the difference between us as the messenger offending the one we are sharing the gospel with and the gospel itself causing the offense. Mm -hmm. How can we know which one it is if they are offended? That's a good question. Mm -hmm. um, you know, as, as, as I think through this, I, I think it, it gets down to how we are sharing the gospel with them. Um, you can probably think back in your own life just as I can about times where it was like, I don't know if the gospel was offensive, but I was. <laughs> right? um, so I, I've seen that you know, in, in my own life. And so I think the scriptures lay out for us some ways that we can examine our own hearts to see, is this me or is this the gospel? So I want to bring those to, to light. 2 Timothy 2 um, is a passage. And these are, these are passages that I try to read to myself before I know I'm going to be in some type of evangelistic conversation uh, with people because I need my heart reset mm -hmm. in that. And my, my natural inclination is defensiveness and, you know, so on and so forth. So 2 Timothy 2, verses 24. Actually, I'll back it up and start in verse uh, 23 here. Now, this is Paul giving instruction to Timothy, so it's, it's functioning more of an, in a pastoral setting. But I think the principle is biblical, and I'll show you why, because I think Titus 3 essentially says the same thing where Titus is speaking to the whole, or Paul's instructing Titus on how to speak to the whole church. So uh, 2 Timothy 2, starting in verse 23, have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies. You know that they breed quarrels. So there, there's the first thing there, right? <laughs> right? You can get on these rabbit trails that people bring up and you're totally away from the gospel, and now you're in this argument about something so, yeah. you know, you're like, how did I get here? How did I let myself yeah. get here? So Paul says to Timothy, don't have anything to do with that. Don't even entertain that conversation. Mm -hmm. Verse 24, and the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome. Mm -hmm. Okay, so there's, there's the first aspect. Mm -hmm. Am I quarreling with this person? Quarreling, that word there in the Greek literally means a war of words. Mm -hmm. Like, I, I'm, I'm digging my heels, and I'm here to win an argument, yeah. you know, with, with somebody. Um, so it must not be quarrelsome, but here you go, but kind to everyone. So there's a kindness that should reflect the people of God. Able to teach, okay, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. So there's the presupposition that there's going to be opposition as you share the gospel. A person's going to be angry, upset, maybe yelling at you sometimes. How do we respond to that? The scriptures tell us how we can respond to that. And we respond to that with gentleness. And then the reason for that is God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge, a knowledge of the truth. So I think that's one helpful uh, passage. The other one I want to reference is Titus. What's the last verse? Yeah, Second Timothy two twenty three through twenty five. Okay. Yeah, and then Titus three I think is even, yeah. even more instructive for the the people of God in particular. Um, so Paul giving instruction to Titus about what to remind the believers of. Um, so in verse three, uh, chapter 3, verse 1, remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, and then here you go specifically in starting in verse 2, to speak evil of no one, 
Okay? To avoid quarreling, mm -hmm. to be gentle, and to show perfect courtesy toward all people. Mm -hmm. Okay? So, you know, there's times when you're in the, and this is another benefit of going out with somebody else. Because I've had times where I've started to get into arguments and the other person will kind of pull, they'll interject something yeah. where I know that was an inter interjection for me to get out of the conversation <laughs> in that moment and pray that God would get my heart right because it's not right it needs to be right now. Um, and, and then here's the premise underneath it, okay? Why are we to do that? Why are we to speak evil of no one, avoid quarreling, be gentle, show perfect courtesy toward all people? For, so here's the ground of it, for we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, pa passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. You know, the greatest remedy for not being an offense to the gospel is remembering what an offense to God you were. Yeah. Um, and that gives you a state of humility. And you go to this person recognizing, you know, there's nothing in me. And understanding as well, I think, that the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God. I expect, I'm praying that this person will will receive the truth of the word. But at the same time, I'm also understanding that there's probably going to be some type of opposition right. here to some level, even in words or disposition or whatever the case may be. So Lord, help me to recognize that. This person's blind to the truth. Um, they're, they're hostile to God. Um, so I, I understand that going in. It positions your heart to not be shocked when they become right. really... Surprised. Yeah, it, it, exactly. When they become hostile or whatever the case may be. So... I think passages like that are really helpful um, for my own heart. First Peter 3 is another one that I wrote down where we're to share with everyone a reason for the hope that was in, that is in us, yet do this with gentleness and respect. Um, so these characteristics all really help me to see that this is to be my disposition as I bring the gospel to somebody else. And that way I get out of the way and I let the gospel be offensive if it needs to be to that person at first and make sure that I'm not getting in the way of, of, of the gospel going forward. So those are, those are some thoughts on that. I, I think that brings me to my thought to Proverbs. It says, where we need much discernment in is that it says, answer a fool in his folly. And, yeah. then, it, and then it says, don't, don't answer, answer a fool in his folly. Yeah. 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 So yeah. much discernment is needed. Exactly. Yeah. Yep. Very true. Well, how do you call someone a sinner without offending them? Mm. Well, I think you let the Bible call them a sinner mm -hmm. <laughs> rather than, than, than you calling them a sinner. Um, and help them to see how the Bible, the Bible describes right. that. And, and to your point, Will, it's going to be offensive mm -hmm. um, to the person whose heart isn't going isn't gonna to receive it. Mm -hmm. I mean, the gospel is radically offensive to the to the natural man. Yeah. It calls them, calls them in, into account. Um, so I think that we can do that in a way that allows us to have the proper disposition and a proper heart um, attitude as we go to that person. But we're also, we also know that this may be very, it, it's going to be very offensive. Um, and maybe that's the, the will of the Lord in this instance is that it would first be offensive. Um, you, I, I've seen people where they're really angry with what you first share, and then the Spirit softens their hearts, and they start, because he, he's causing them to come into agreement with what the Word of God is saying, thus saith the Lord. Um, so yeah, yeah, you kind of go in with that mindset, knowing mm -hmm. this person's reaction mm -hmm. 
in the in the in the flesh. So. It's good to ask questions and let it come out of them sometimes. Too, yes. Right? Yeah. They're telling you they are. Yes. Okay. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's awful. All right. Okay, the next question um, says, when conversing with someone, how can I best determine that he or she is actually ready to hear the good news of the cross? Yeah, good question. Um, I would start with this. Um, uh, first of all, a, a person who is dead in their sins, mm -hmm. it will never really be ready mm -hmm. enough until the Holy Spirit begins to work in their heart. Mm -hmm. So... And, and often, if we don't if we don't think about that or have that in our minds, um, you know, we end up uh, thinking that the person is almost there, so to speak, like oh they're almost coming to, to Christ. Um, but but that's not true. Um, even when it may seem that the person is receptive, their hearts will constantly fight against accepting the truth of God. Yeah, uh, and they'll do it to their own destruction, unfortunately. Uh, this is why we have to rely on prayer so much because uh, when we go and we deliver to the person the means in which God saves the person, right? So we proclaim the, the good news to them. We share the gospel to them. God is using that uh, because the scripture says that that's the power unto salvation. So we bring them the good news. Um, but it has to be God doing the work in their heart. And so that's why we have to rely on prayer. Um, also being faithful in our proclamation, right? Yeah. Uh, trusting that the gospel itself will, will do the work that it was called to do. Yeah. Um, and if we, again, if we don't think about, if we don't think in those terms, uh, we'll get caught up in like man-centered tactics, mm -hmm. uh, pragmatism. <laughs> we, we, we try to find ways to, to, to sort of help them come to... To Christ that that the Bible specifically has not ordained that way. You know, God has said that the gospel and the proclamation of the gospel is the means in which a person is converted. That's what God uses to change a person's heart. And so, if you if you're not thinking about the nature of that person, right, the sinful nature of that person, and how it constantly pushes away from God, um, then you're you're not going to evangelize right. Um, uh, however, right, I do think that. When, when you're being faithful in the good news and proclaiming the good news, there's a way that you can do things incorrectly. Like one example would be rushing to the good news and the grace of God without the person, rec without the person recognizing first their uh, disobedience or their failure to keep God's commandments. Yeah. Uh, and that can often be misleading, right? We're, you know, we'll, we'll say that they're a sinner, but we quickly move to the gospel and, and don't give them enough time to really think and realize that they need a Savior, right? So we give them the Savior, but they have no idea why they need a Savior. Um, and so it's important to, you know, to help that person see, you know, the reality of their, their heart. So I, I just think that's a, that's a helpful way to, in a sense, prepare the person, even though we, we ourselves aren't actually doing it. It's the Holy Spirit that does it in their yeah. heart. Amen. I don't know, you'll have to tell me if this is why you're wrong biblically, but when I go to give the gospel to anybody, I ask the permission to talk about Jesus. That's what I do. Not a religion, not a, you know, a church or anything. I just say, 
do, can I have your permission to talk about Jesus? And that's the way I determine whether or not they're totally closed or totally, you know, at least open enough to talk about Jesus. Mm -hmm. and so I don't know. I'll have to pray about that one after I read what you said, yeah. you know, and whether or not that's the thing. But that's the way I try to determine because nobody can know where anybody is. Nobody can. Right. But to me, if they don't even want to talk about Jesus, to me, anything I say after that is not going to. And then I made an exception a couple times and said, okay, you said no, but I'm just going to tell you how to get to heaven according to the Bible in case down the road you change your mind. <laughs> and so, and I know that won't stick unless it's God that sticks it because Satan comes and takes the, that seed away as soon if they don't understand. But if God can use that gospel, if he is going to save them sometime, yeah. you know, down the road, so. Yeah. Jeremy, I wanted to, did you have this? To expound upon the question, I'm wondering, is there a situation you can envision or have you experienced something where you uh, started with wanting to help them see the, their need for a Savior, yeah. and it wasn't happening, and therefore you you were hitting that wall, and you didn't actually ever get to Jesus, because yeah. you couldn't get beyond the law. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I think there are circumstances where I've seen that in my own witnessing, um, where there's just as Diana Lynn was saying, there's uh, the, the person's just kind of closed off to it or just not tracking with you at all. However, if the person, because I don't know what the Lord's doing in their heart in that moment, and I want to be careful not to um, kind of categorize people or stereotype people in the sense of. Um, they, they, they're, the way that they were expressing themselves really shows that they were tracking with me, right? So you can get somebody who's really extroverted that's just like, oh yeah, I'm, I'm tracked. There's like no guesswork there, right? You get somebody very introverted that's just kind of nodding here and there and so on and so forth. So my, my thing is uh, I want to make sure first that I've established clearly what the bad news is, that God is holy and you're not, and that's a big problem. Um, expounding that with a lot of scripture just summarizing that in a sentence <laughs> um, but I don't want to allow their apparent indifference to keep me from getting to the gospel if there's opposition there then at some point in the conversation I'm going to shut it off um, because that person is clearly not wanting to hear anything that I'm saying however if they're not hostile or, or showing any type of you know, antagonism toward it or whatever if they, even if they just appear indifferent to me in that moment, mm -hmm. I still walk through the, the full counsel of bad news, good news, yeah. and here's what God's on. Because I want to get to the gospel. I want Because that's the power of God for salvation. So that, that unbelief in their heart that they're showing right now is changed by the gospel. It's changed by the power of the good news hitting that heart and awakening them. That's what the Spirit uses. Um, so we establish the bad news to help them to see who they are before God, but that's not doing anything other than just telling them where they currently stand before God. So that's not really um, the, the good news. But you get to the power of the gospel, what God has done in Christ, then you have the arsenal to awaken that person through the power of the Holy Spirit to help them see. So I do think it's a case-by-case -case basis, Jeremy, but 
That being said, I, I have seen far more times in my own witnessing that I've pressed through conversations to get to the gospel because I know therein lies the power of God uh, for salvation. And even if their disposition seemed somewhat indifferent in that, in that time. I'd like to respond to our sisters. I, I respect the fact that you're respecting their feelings and their opinions, which is great. I believe that as the way Jesus did it, I think to, to start with the natural and you gradually go into the spiritual, you're not asking their opinion, but what you're doing is like you're naturally going into, because Jesus didn't ask the woman at the well, can I give you the gospel, or, or when he spoke with a young man. So yeah. I, 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 I say respectfully, because I see your heart, you know, where you do care about, you know, their feelings. But I think it's, it's a natural thing, because they may never be ready, they may not want to. But if you do it gradually, you know, start with the natural and graduate like what's the day like or and then and ask them maybe what do you worship or do you worship do you adhere to a faith you know that kind of yeah and I think those are helpful um the the very nature of the gospel itself is proclamation um so I think that's something else that I keep in mind as well is that it's it's a heralding of good news so there's this there's this proclamation that's that's coming forth but um, I do appreciate Dinah Lynn's disposition on that as well because um, it, it's helpful at times just to kind of cut to the chases. Right. You know, this is what I want to talk about. And, you know, you're not in a conversation for 10 minutes and like, oh, you really want to talk to me about Jesus. Why don't you just tell me that at the beginning? <laughs> you know, and but so. Most of these people are people I've developed relationships right, with. Right. Yeah, you've, it's you've not known like them. I go out on the street and say that. Right, right. Yeah. Yeah. So, okay. so good, good stuff. Well, we're at 10.15, so we're at the, uh, the end of our, our time together. So Will and I are going to work through these probably in a couple more sessions um, and, uh, and, and get to the rest of these. So again, if we didn't get to uh, your question, we apologize, but we will get to it. We just want to thank you guys again for submitting these questions. They've been really good and have uh, showed your thinking and what you've been learning in the class and circumstances that you've gone through in your own life. Uh, so it's been really encouraging. We hope you've benefited from this, uh, this class and our time together. And again, just want to reiterate what I said last week is, you know, let's just continue to stir up one another to love and good works. Continue to um, encourage one another in this aspect of evangelism. Let's not just say it's a class we took and put it on the shelf and now let's move on to First Peter. Um, let's just pray that the Lord keeps our hearts evangelistic and let's keep encouraging one another to that, to that end. Amen? Amen? Okay. Let's, uh, let's pray. Father, we do thank you um, as, we, as we close this time together. We want to thank you first, Lord, for opening our eyes, causing us to see this gospel. Father, recognizing that it wasn't anything in us. Um, we weren't smarter, uh, more intellectual. We didn't have insight on our own that others didn't have. It was the power of the Spirit of God through the Word of God awakening us to this glorious reality that we stand by nature condemned before you and that by grace Christ has lived for us, died for us, rose for us, ascended for us, reigning at the Father's right hand, coming back to get us and how thankful we are for this. Give us, I pray, urgency in our uh, evangelistic endeavors. Father, help us to take advantage. Help us to be prayerful every day, looking for opportunities to bring this gospel to those
who are around us. It is a lost and dark world all around us, Father, and we desire to be light and salt for the sake of your name. So please help us to that end. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.